Some suffer on this side of eternity because of their bad personal choices. People just make bad decisions and they have pain in their lives because of that. To live in this world, you're going to have suffering. It's just going to happen. If God is good, why is there human suffering? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Today, David takes us to John chapter 9, where we come to the story of Jesus healing the man who was blind from birth. David shares two primary biblical insights which cover human suffering and how important our personal story is with Jesus. Hi, everyone. Let's move into the preaching of God's Word. We're going to look at an entire chapter in the Gospel of John, John chapter 9. Uh, before I do so, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit, I pray that you would allow me to speak and teach and preach your Word accurately to the point so that people can not only know your Word but obey your Word. Thank you for the privilege of preaching, Lord. You gave me this call over 40 years ago, I hope I've been faithful. I pray every week that I take your word and say what I think it says accurately for you, Lord, and your glory alone. We appreciate, Lord, your presence now. Be with me as I expose John, the ninth chapter, one of the richest, deepest, most meaningful chapters in all of the scripture. Be with me now. It's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So the context of John 9 is looking at the end of John 8, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. We don't know whether God supernaturally hid him from everyone's sight or he just melted into the crowd, but he did move into the temple and no one knew where he went to. Then in chapter 9, the story continues with verse 1. So as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. So Jesus continues to walk in the temple, and he passes by a blind man who was born that way. So again, let me emphasize, he was blind from birth because that's very important in beginning to understand today's message because I have two particular themes I want to address. One is I want to try to answer the question as best I can, a very thorny theological question, if God is good, why is there suffering? And in the second message I want to get across is that all of us have a story, every single one of us. Some of us either have a miraculous story where we were walking in darkness and Jesus came to us and we then had an immediate born-again experience like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, walking in darkness, suddenly now walking in light, or it's more of my personal journey where I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad always loved Jesus. I kind of caught their faith and slowly but surely progressed myself into deciding to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter how you come to him. It matters that you come to him, and you need to have a story regarding how you came to him. Uh, you know, I believe with all of my heart that I would rather my children, which I think all of them did, come to faith early at an age in their lives when they walked with Jesus for all of their formative years, and they didn't have to go through those dark days, those rebellious days. I do think there's a lot to be said for that. I've joked uh, with you occasionally that Marilyn brought all three of ours to faith while driving them around in our van to school or to sports or whatever, and all three came to faith as she was talking with them, and we call that evangelism. Bad joke, but that's what happened, and all three of them have walked with the Lord, and we've been grateful for that, and they didn't have to go through the difficult precipices of life and falling away than having to come back to faith. 
but we want you to have a story, and that's an important part of today's message. But let's go first of all to this thorny question of if God is good, how can there be human suffering? You know, if God is good and he can do something but doesn't do it, then he's not good. Uh, if God is good and he can't do something but could wants to do something, he's impotent. So we, we need to try to understand this question from the biblical perspective and what the Lord would want to say to us today through his word regarding this particular problem. So there's a blind man born that way from birth, then in verse 2, and Jesus' disciples ask him, Rabbi, which means teacher or master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in that day, there was kind of a sense of karma that existed where people got what they deserved. They were either in this present state of blindness from birth, either because he sinned or his parents sinned. Now, the whole idea of him sinning and being blind from birth doesn't make much sense. How did he sin before he was even born? Well, that goes to a rabbinic teaching during that day, going back to Genesis 25, that when Jacob and Esau were being born, that Esau kind of muscled his way to the front of the womb and got born first to have the primogenitor, the first right of the firstborn, and then Jacob followed thereafter, and there was sin that happened in the womb even then, so thus children in the womb could even sin, and that was a perspective in that day, and then maybe this guy had some sin he did in his mother's womb, and that's why he was born blind. Uh, the other idea was that the parents' sin caused this guy to be blind, and that comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, where it says the sins of the father are passed down to the third and fourth generations. And so people believe that somebody could suffer because of their parents' sin. So that was the question the disciples were asking Jesus, master, rabbi, teacher, who sinned this man in the womb of his mama when he was being born, or was it his parents who sinned, and that's why he was born blind? And Jesus answered in a powerful way, but before I get to his answer in verse 3, let me pause for a second and give you a very brief reflection on the five major reasons that there's suffering in the world. God is good. The Bible says that clearly. There's a good creation in which we live. We have loving, kind relationships with people that we know. That's another evidence of his goodness. So the question comes again, if God is good, why is there suffering? And there are five general reasons that exist, and some of them have already been covered. Others have not. Let me examine them very quickly with you. Some suffer on this side of eternity because of their bad personal choices. People just make bad decisions, and they have pain in their lives because of that. Um, say someone drinks alcohol and gets in a car and drives and kills somebody he has to go to prison for that bad choice that he made. He suffers accordingly. Secondly, we suffer because of our parents or other people's choices. Uh, if a parent drinks and has a baby in his arms and is tipsy, falls down the steps, and that baby becomes blind, indeed, that child has to suffer for the parent's decision, the parent's choice that they have made. Uh, some of you are suffering today because your parents chose to be absent or abusive, either emotionally, spiritually, or physically, and you have suffered accordingly because of that difficult choice that your parents have made. 
And other people's choices as well cause us pain and harm. I mean, for those of you who were married to somebody and they left you for whatever reason, you know the pain of their choice upon your life. We are interdependent. We were connected to be in community with one another. And when parents make choices or other people make choices, we have to suffer their pain. Thirdly, we just live in a fallen world. Uh, You know this book is divided into these sections, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis are creation. Everything's good. Everything's working just how God wants it to work. It's harmonious in every way. And then in Genesis 3, the enemy, the evil one, comes and tempts Adam and Eve, introduces death into the world, and everything is corrupted. Everything. Every particle of God's once perfect good creation is infected with this disease called sin. So to live in this world, you're going to have suffering. It's just going to happen. Death is now introduced into our bodies at the moment of conception. But we have other things that happen all around us, natural disasters, all kinds of people, problems that occur that cause us great pain. So simply living in this fallen world causes suffering. And finally, suffering is simply because of a demonic presence. There's some kind of evil in this world that wants to kill, steal, and destroy all of us. Uh, I addressed this a little bit a couple of weeks ago when this Lucifer, the fallen angel, became Satan, the destroyer, and took one-third of the angels with him. He has, as his job description, to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10, from the lips of Jesus himself. And an example of this is found in Job, the first chapter. Now, Job's a righteous man. It says very clearly that Job is a good and righteous man, but Satan goes to God and says, you have protected him. If he had suffering come upon him, he would curse you. Please know that's what the enemy wants you to do more than anything else is give up your faith. When you suffer, to curse God. Well, God takes his hedge of protection away from Job, and Satan is allowed to attack. He attacks full force. He takes away Job's family. He takes away his health. He takes away his possessions. He is ransacked in every possible way. And then Job has three friends who come to him, and basically what they ask him is, Job, where did you sin? Uh, Just like what happened with the disciples and this man, He's suffering because of some sin. Uh, Where's your sin, Job? And that's always a question of karma, folks. One of the world's major religions is karma. It basically means you get what you deserve. Whatever you do in this world, someplace down the line, you're going to pay for it, especially if you sin. And that's what happened with Job's friends. And, And Job wrestled with what God was doing in his life. And then finally, God says to him in Job 38, where were you when I created all of the world? In other words, I'm sovereign over everything that happens. And note that Satan had to ask God permission before he attacked Job. And Job had to come to that understanding of God's sovereignty over everything, even in suffering. And then, interestingly, in chapter 42, God restores twofold everything that Job had lost. But there was a demonic attack that came upon his life. And it's a mystery, folks. Suffering, in its essence, is really a mystery. One of the reasons I believe in Jesus is because my Christian faith is unique from any other world's religion where God entered human history and entered into our suffering through the cross. 
that God is on a cross identifying with us in our pain and suffering and saying to us as we receive Jesus in the forgiveness of our sins and his internal slash eternal dwelling that he is with us to the close of the age. And as we continue to have faith in him, no matter how problematic the issue may be, God is with us and he's working with us powerfully in ways we can't begin to understand. So that's what suffering is and we try to understand it as best we can and we believe that God is still good overseeing suffering and using it for what purpose? Well, let's move to verse 3 right now because Jesus gives us another perspective rather than karma on human suffering. Verse 3, Jesus answered the disciples when they asked, why is this guy born blind, either his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work that works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying here is the other alternative to karma, the kingdom. It's either karma or the kingdom as you look at suffering. It's either we get what we deserve or somehow, someway in the mystery of suffering, God is working everything together for our good and his glory. And Jesus here says, take advantage while you're here not to bemoan your suffering and gripe at God and complain to him, but use the suffering for the purpose of doing good works for other people. 2 Corinthians 1.4 when something happens to you that's bad, use that to go help somebody else walking through that same difficulty that you've walked through, giving them an understanding of the grace of God that he gave you while you were walking through that very situation. The mother who lost a child to a drunk driver uh, was somber, sad, grieving, suffering, and she finally decided, I'm not going to be a karma person, I'm going to be a kingdom person, and she started mad. Mothers against drunk drivers as a way to keep that from ever happening again to other parents. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And he's saying, while there's still light, I am the light of the world. Use me and my glory within you to do good out of this suffering. Don't let karma be the final answer. Let kingdom be the final answer. Now, may I just take a second and speak honestly and openly from my heart to yours. Over the last two and a half years or so. I've not spoken publicly about this at all. But most of you know that Marilyn and I gave ourselves to a church here locally for almost 39 years. It grew magnificently, wonderfully. It had a kingdom worldwide impact. It six campuses, a $27 million budget, six buildings, all of them debt-free. And we worked hard to, in order for that to be an influential church. Well, Within just a very short time period, just a week, I learned that my senior staff thought that I was no longer an effective leader, and they wanted me gone. They, they found me someone they did not like, was distasteful, and so they said it was time for me to leave. I had no recourse except to leave. And I was grieving, asking the question, you know, what did I do, Lord, for all of this to happen to me? And I had a choice then to continue to grieve or to let the Lord come to me and ask me these questions. David, did I call you to preach my gospel? And I answered yes. Then he said, have I stopped the call upon your life to preach the gospel? And I said, no. And he asked, well, did I call you to be in my local church for my glory? And I said, 
yes, then he asked me, what are you going to do about it? And that was when I made the decision to start this church. Marilyn came alongside me, many other friends came alongside me, and we started this church. Now, here's the point. I could have retired. I could have said, I'm just tired, don't want to do this anymore. I could have said, bad break in life, had bad stuff happen to me, oh, woe is me, karma happened. Or I could say, no, I still feel a call in my life. I still feel a call to the local church. I feel God has still equipped me to teach his word. So we formed Moments of Hope Church. And here we are two and a half years down the road. And all I can say to you right now is I look at the good that has happened and God's glory working through it. I can't begin to praise God more. I'm not going to complain about what happened or I'll remain in the problem. I'm going to praise God for how he's working and he'll raise me up in new ways. Because folks, if we didn't have this church, I wouldn't have all of you hopesters who are just the most wonderful family of God we could possibly imagine. I wouldn't have my daughter and son-in-law working with me, Ryan and Bethany overseeing Hope Farm. We wouldn't have Hope Farm, this 127 acres that we are still trying to pray through and find out how God wants to use it for discipleship and equipping for advancing the kingdom of God. Not karma, but the kingdom. And the staff that we have here at Moments of Hope Church. What an amazing group of people who are my friends and have come around me in these last two plus years. We have learned, Marilyn and I, that you know, your true friends are those who are with you when you walk through your deepest trials, when you go through your most problematic crises. They are your true friends. Everybody else is a mere acquaintance. They might come and wave at you and say, how you're doing? But those who really love you are those who walk alongside you to help continue to move your life forward. So there is so much good that's happened. And so we have practiced what Jesus said here. We're not going to believe in karma. Not going to sit back and go, oh, woe is us. That just happened to us. We live in a fallen world. No, we're going to say it happened, but we're going to use 2 Corinthians 1-4 for the purposes of going and building a strong church that right now has given away millions of dollars locally and globally for the advancement of the kingdom of God. you got a choice, folks. In suffering, you can complain, say God's not good, or you can say, no, God is in control of everything in a very fallen world, and I'm going to use what he has given me to advance his kingdom and especially use his suffering to help somebody else who's going through that very suffering. That's what Jesus was trying to say here as he claimed once again that as he is the light of the world and he is in the world he teaches us these truths you're listening to moments of hope with david chadwick thanks for listening coming up david joins me in the studio in a conversation about how accepting our god-given feelings are his way of helping us overcome life's trials Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning, your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jen. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. Well, this morning, you piqued my interest with the title of today's e-devotion. You call it, Admitting the Feeling is the Beginning of Healing. Yeah, I'd love to say that I thought that up um, because it is so catchy, mm-hmm. but the truth is it is a phrase from Alcoholics Anonymous that they know about in their particular organization. No one can get well until they admit what they're feeling, mm-hmm. until they're unwilling to quit stuffing their emotions deep inside their heart, and they're willing to open their heart and find out exactly what is going on inside. So, To admit your feelings is to begin the healing. The truth is every single one of us go through difficult times. Mm -hmm. We all have hurts in our hearts. And if we let them stay there after having stuffed them, eventually those hurts become bitterness. Mm -hmm. And bitterness is an evil that will destroy your life and many people around you, Hebrews 12, 15. So you want to begin the healing process. And God has put within us not only physical, physical properties that heal our bodies, but emotional processes that help heal damaged emotions. Mm -hmm. So how do you begin to move toward healing with those damaged emotions? Confront them especially where sin has led us to disobey God and caused that problem in our lives, which then connects us to not only confronting the problem, confronting the negative emotion, but also to confess our sins. Mm. First with God, you know, that's where we need to begin. In 1 John 1, 9, the scripture says, those who confess their sins to God are faithful and just, and he will forgive them of all unrighteousness. There's no sin that we've ever committed that is beyond the grace of God. That is the wonderful news of the gospel. But we've got to first confess it to God. But then also, I think the Lord has given us a way of that healing process to happen among ourselves in community in the Christian church. For we were never intended to live alone. We need to live in community. So not only with our damaged emotions do we confess confess them to God and let his grace begin to heal them, but also we confess our sins to one another. Mm. That's a verse in James, the fifth chapter, verse 16. And when we confess our sins to one another, then we can serve as the priesthood of all believers, giving grace to one another when we have gone through damaged emotions. So when we admit it to God, then we admit it to others, then the healing process begins to occur. Let me say it one more time. 
Admitting the feeling is the beginning of healing to God and to others, and then watch that healing occur. I love this so much, David, because you give such a holistic approach. You don't say, oh, negate your feelings. They're just emotions. You don't want to be run by them. You say, let's see what's going on here, and it's really sin behind it. So I love the way you walk us through this because it's it's true freedom. Yeah, and it could be somebody else who has done something to us that causes the negative feeling, and it might not be necessarily our sin, but it's somebody's sin that's done it. And when that occurs, we have to just confess that to God, receive his grace, and then also confess that to one another and let each other care for one another in giving grace to one another. This is so beautiful. Thank you so much for these insights today. Well, everyone, I hope that you will go to momentsofhopechurch.org and subscribe daily to these daily Davidisms, these e-blasts from me to you, from my heart to yours. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking that you pray for the teachers in our city.